to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may prove the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the first fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In some, indeed, preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, seeking, uh, supposing, sorry, to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them, a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, 
not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Let it be a blessing to us. So last week, we looked um, at Paul, that Paul's update that he gave to the Philippian church, but everything that had happened to him, and that everything that happened to him, as we read in verses 12 to 26, caused him to rejoice because of what Christ was doing. Christ was bringing about his kingdom, and his name was being magnified through what Paul was do- through what God was bringing Paul through to the entire palace guard, nine thousand, and to the imperial house, and this caused the brothers to be emboldened to then continue to spread the gospel even more. For Paul to live is Christ. Well, now we turn Paul, turn our attention to verses twenty-seven to thirty, where Paul turns his attention to the Philippians exhorting them in their suffering, as we read in verse 30, they have the same conflict, to have the same attitude. To live is Christ. Rejoice. You have everything you ever will need to, do, to live in Christ. To live for Christ. Paul is saying, you have tasted, as we've read in the first chapter, you've tasted and seen the Lord's grace, in saving you, you have you know the future hope of glory with Christ, that's yours, and you are partners in Christ's gospel, like me, just like me. Therefore, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of that gospel, even though, even through the conflict. So in verse 27, Paul says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word here for only can be translated one. And so Paul is saying, the one important thing, whether I am with you or without you, the one important thing is to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's translated, only behave as citizens worthy. We saw in the first two verses what the Philippians are, what we are as Christians, servants and saints, citizens of heaven. And we're going to get to that more in chapter 3, Lord willing. Let only behave as citizens. Citizens of what? Citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. Now remember, Philippi was a proud Roman city. Acts 16.12 says, when it talks about Paul and Silas going to Philippi, Philippi was a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. The city was even laid out like Rome. It was like a mini Rome. They were very proud to be Roman. And when the city of Philippi came under Roman governance, this meant great benefits for the Roman inhabitants. Its citizens had protection under the Roman legal system. They could travel freely. Their businesses enjoyed immediate global reach and global trust. A commentator said citizenship in Rome 
was a passport to progress, privilege, and status. I don't know how many of you here are Dutch, but I grew up, and I'm not Dutch, but I grew up hearing the slogan, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. I, I hope it was in jest. Well, this was actually true in Rome. And so Paul is saying to the church, many of which were Roman citizens, keep central in, keep central in your mind that you are first and foremost citizens of heaven. That is the framework from which you are to live your life. Claimed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've tasted and seen the Lord's goodness to you, therefore live it out. And this is what we are also called to do today. Dr. Derek Thomas said, live as those, in, in commenting on this passage of reflecting heaven, live as those who reflect heaven. Live a life that brings glory to that gospel which has claimed you and which you, because Christ loved you first, now you love him. This advances Jesus Christ. So the Christian who trusts in Jesus has been given membership of God's kingdom and is thus a citizen of heaven now. We are guaranteed a place in heaven because we are in Christ. Remember that union with Christ which we are going to get to as well in chapter 2. Well, Paul is saying, since your allegiance is not Rome's, it's Christ's, live as members of Christ's heavenly kingdom. Live in a manner worthy of heaven. Well, how do you live lives worthy of the gospel? And I want to bring, with, bring you through this evening about three uh, different points from our text, and beginning by standing unified. Verse 27, standing unified. Unified. When I hear of your affairs, that I, I want to hear, Paul is saying, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. When I hear, Paul is saying, when I hear news of your outward conduct in Philippi, I want to hear that you're unified, even in the midst of suffering. It seems, and this is another problem in the, in the Philippian church, it seems that there was some disunity within the Philippian congregation. We know at least between Iodia and Syntyche that there was in chapter 4, verse 2. So Paul is, is addressing this problem, saying, I implore you both to have the same mind in the Lord. Disunity. This is a big issue. Disunity, division, quarrels in and amongst the church family is the opposite of what it means to live as citizens of heaven. There ought, to, there ought not to be division within the family of God. For Paul says this to Timothy as a minister in where he was ministering. He says, make sure this is something you have to watch out for. Avoid, vo- fo- it says in, in chapter 2.23 of 2 Timothy, Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. One of the saddest things about COVID, I think, yes, I'm going to bring it up, was not the government's mistakes, the difficulty of singing through a mask, it was the separation from each other. It was so sad to be without the community of believers 
all in union with Christ. But you know what was even more sad? And frankly, I don't mind saying it's shameful. Was how Christians treated one another. Some even went as far as saying, if you followed the rules, or vice versa, or you didn't follow the rules, you're not faithful to Christ. I heard that. And there's only one thing to say in response to that. That is not conduct worthy of the gospel. That did not, as we will see next week, put ourselves under others. In fact, we put ourselves above others, which is a classic New Testament teaching. And so Paul is exhorting the Philippians not to lose sight of what the gospel is really about. It's not about masks. It's not even about our charter of rights. No matter how many, how many freedoms the government takes away from us, it's about salvation in Jesus Christ. Disunity is Satan's tool to take us away from loving God and looking at one another, looking at ourselves, pardon me. The classic illustration of this is in Adam and Eve. What did Satan, Satan put a wedge, not only between God and man, and it was Adam's fault, but between husband and wife. And now we are for as long as earth has been here, since the creation, since the Adam's fall, we struggle with disunity. War. I could go on. And it's this disunity that Jesus Christ came to reverse. Christ unified us to himself in his death and resurrection. He brought us back into fellowship with God, the thing, that's, the thing that Adam lost for us, and all of our sin lost for us, and gave us one mind, one heart. We read this in Ezekiel 34 and 36. The Holy Spirit will put in us a new, he will write the law of the Lord upon our hearts. Christ, who started the good work of salvation in us, who made us partakers of grace, will bring us into the new heavens and new earth as one people of God. And so Paul is simply saying, brothers and sisters, what is the mind to have? Once I was lost, and now I'm found. When we all remember this, when we think about this more, we'll think about ourselves less and less. And the more we keep this truth in front of us, how we are, how lost we were, and how gracious God is in bringing us back to himself, the more we will rejoice with one another at how God, how kind God is to one another, to each other, to each other, each and one of us. And we st- when we stand upon Christ together, living with with our eyes on our Savior, living with one purpose to glorify Christ, then our conduct will be worthy of the gospel. And it will also stand out more clearly what the world needs. It needs the gospel. When our minds are together, focused on Christ, we'll we'll not be able to forget the mission that he gave to us. Matthew 28. 
Go forward. Make disciples of all the nations. We can't do that if we're fighting amongst ourselves. And then this brings us to that part, last part of verse 27. Striving together for the faith. Striving together to bring the gospel. We see semblance of military language here. The Greek is actually contending side by side. Like soldiers in an army marching into battle to fight the fight of faith. Countries never go to war by sending in one, one guy. They don't do that. Likewise, the church is not a one-man show. But how many times have we seen people standing like, I, I have right theology and everyone doesn't. So follow me. This happens far too often. We must defend the faith shoulder to shoulder with one another, fellow saints in Christ. And as we're going to see when we get to our second point, Battles come because the world hates God. We, what are we fighting for? What are we fighting for? We're fighting for the truth. The object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be loudly heralded in the world, to declare the free offer of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only means by which we may attain eternal life. Godly conduct, brothers and sisters, consists in an unwavering, established knowledge And trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Godly conduct consists in knowing God. And what he's done to all of his church. And a unified striving forth to proclaim, defend, and honor the faith. Because we are at war. And not with one another, but as Ephesians 6 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are at war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's a dark world out there, and we don't need to be reminded of that. The darkness is stronger than us in and of ourselves, but we have Christ. We have each other. We have the prayers of the saints. Paul, in verse twelve, um, verse 19, but I, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. Through your prayers. We have the armor of God. And we stand in the ranks of His victorious army. What a comfort. Christians, we should not face our battles alone. We don't, we don't need to. We have one another to help fight. When temptation attacks, and it 100% most certainly will attack, we have one another. We have one another to call upon, to ask for help, to ask to pray with one another, to fight sin. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. God uses the means of one another, of each and every one of us, to help us be ready to fight, be ready to slay sin. Let us not fight one another. Let us not fight. Paul is saying, we stand upon the love of Christ. 1 John 4, 7-11 says, If God so loved us, 
ought we love one another? We are called as soldiers to pray for each other, to be there for one another. This is conduct worthy of the gospel. And it keeps the back the works of darkness. Unity is a necessary requirement for us as believers. In spirit and soul, in mind and feeling, in thought and desire, believers must be bound together. This is the only way we will cope with opponents, with sufferings, and conflicts. Which brings us, secondly, to Paul's exhortation to be courageous. Be courageous. Not in any way, verse um, 28, sorry, not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. It seems that the citizens of Philippi, the unbelieving citizens of Philippi, were tr- the opponents of the church, were trying to throw um, the church of Philippi into a bit of a panic to strike terror into them. Remember what happened to Paul and Silas? Beaten in Philippi and thrown into prison. That would scare, that would scare me, personally. But Paul is saying, in the knowledge of Christ, and our standing upon him as our foundation, and standing side by side, brothers and sisters, in the faith, have courage. Do not be overcome by this opposition. And this picture is the opposite of what our hearts can sometimes be when trials spring upon us, can't it? I have done this myself. When an unexpected trial jumps on it, I, 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 can, I can act surprised. I can panic. Anxiety. I tend to doubt God's goodness when we receive the painful trials. We can, we can be intimidated. If I speak against that LGBTQ person, what will happen to me? Now, we're not supposed to speak. We're supposed to be show them love. But we are not to be overcome. We're not to be overcome. Why? Because the opposition is a twofold sign from God. Because it is a sign, firstly, of our adversary's destruction, and secondly, a sign of our salvation. It is a sign of salvation because those who are saved and believe upon Jesus will be preserved by God. In Him, we are capable of standing through it all and not becoming a coward. Not giving in when the executioner says, deny your faith and we'll let you go. It's not being overcome. It's it's trusting the Lord's grace. He will bring you through that. He will keep you confessing your faith, even to death. And we've read, we read this in countless missionary biographies. The opposition that they face and stand through is a sign that they are saved in the Lord's care. Preserving faith comes from Christ. If we are opposed for the sake of Christ, it means that we belong to Him. Therefore, be courageous. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, we're not, we're not being persecuted necessarily. We're not being kept from church in here in the West right now. There are churches that are being persecuted. But when I think of this, and I think of it in terms of Romans 1.16, about not being ashamed, I think of something that most Christians face. Sabbath work. Countless, all the jobs, all the jobs I've, I've worked, they've, they've, if they have been open Sunday, they've asked me to work on Sunday. What do we say? Will we be ashamed of the gospel? And when a pastor told me this, and I took it on to myself to say this to one of my bosses, by the strength of Christ, whether, because he had, this is the, he had, I had a schedule and this was the fifth time he had put me and scheduled me for a, for a Sabbath day. Whether you let me keep my job or fire me, I'll still be in church on Sunday. That is a witness of the glory of Christ, not me. Are we ashamed of the gospel? But it is also a sign against our adversaries. In Dr. Ferguson's commentary, he calls our attention to Psalm 73 when talking about our, our, our adversaries. It's the Psalm of Asaph. In this Psalm, Asaph looks on the wicked and he sees them prosper and oppose God everywhere. They seem to escape trial after trial and they live happily. Asaph is at a loss. But then Asaph is brought by God into the courts of the Lord. And the Lord showed him the mark of destruction that was on their lives. Their feet were on a slippery slope. And he was no longer, he was no longer anxious about them. He no longer, was, he no longer became panicky by their opposition. Because he saw their outcome. Have you ever taken up a novel and read the last chapter and the book, last page of the book? To see what happens to the main character. Now, if you're one of these people who do that and have a bit of joy in the stolen relief, reading through the book, you do that because you know, and you do that, and then you, as you read through the book, you know the outcome. You know it will turn. You know that it will turn out okay for the main character. He will end victorious. Well, that is what God has done for us. He wrote this life, the story of your life. He knows it from beginning all the way to the end because he decreed it so. And he tells you that your life will end in victory. And not only tells you, but shows you how the victory is already assured in Christ. He purchased our freedom on the cross. And so now we go through life's ups and its downs by faith holding on to him. Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things God works for, those, for good. For those who are called according to His purposes. For those who love Him. It is the mark of the Christian to stand in the boldness of faith supplied by the Holy Spirit in the midst of great suffering and affliction. The Christian is not terrified when he brings the gospel. Because Christ is always with him. God is always with us. 
One of my favorite passages in Scripture is 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you. We lean on the everlasting arms of Christ, which means suffering takes on a new meaning. And we, in verse 29, and thirdly and finally, walk, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord means we're going to learn how to suffer. Learning to suffer. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. So Christ He is building up his church by his spirit to be a witness to his gracious salvation, as we've seen in Paul, and Paul is encouraging the Philippians that, we, the church, have been granted the Holy Spirit to believe and be a light unto the world, to live in such a way that Christ's death and resurrection will be magnified through the whole world. However, because the world loves their sin and hates God, they persecute him. And all who follow him. And Paul like says, likewise, now it has been granted unto you to suffer. But do not lose heart. In fact, rejoice in that suffering. Because the suffering for the gospel means blessing to you. Our suffering has a glorious purpose. A glorious purpose. Its purpose is... To glorify God and to refine us. Our suffering is worthy gospel conduct because it glorifies Christ. History has proven this time and time again. I've mentioned missionaries. When the church suffers for Christ, it grows. We think of the church in China, in Africa. It is spreading like wildfire. Suffering magnifies the gospel to the whole world. And the means are his, is his body. We make Christ's death and resurrection known throughout the whole world, and by that, men and women are brought into the kingdom. Suffering for righteousness is a testimony to the power of the gospel. And then secondly, its glorious purpose is to refine And bless us. The commentator said, Suffering is the way to glory. God's gift of salvation to his children. It is evidence of God's design to save you. Suffering is the friction that polishes our graces. Without it, we would be all the more poorer reflectors of the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that suffering for the gospel is a positive thing for the believer? Because it is by that suffering we glorify Him. As we learned this morning in sanctification, suffering is one of the tools God uses to sanctify us. It sanctifies us and it magnifies Christ in us. And Romans 18, 8 says, For I consider the sufferings 
of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There are, I don't know if you've ever heard of certain jobs in the world that are, that could probably be said are the worst jobs. Garbage collectors in certain cities. Crime scene cleaners. Why did they do such a horrid job? Well, in these jobs, they get paid an awful lot. A lot of money. And so for the people that are doing it, it is worth it to them to do this job for the amount of money they will get. It's worth it to them. Is it worth it to us to be here and suffer even to death if it means reward of eternal life in glory with Christ? The, the comparison between these doesn't match. It's not, you can't compare it. Is it worth it for us? Jesus, the Lord of glory, thought it worth it enough to leave heaven, take on the form of a man, to suffer and die so that you could live. I could live. So that it would be granted, as our text says, granted unto you and me to believe. To believe. If we are not willing to do the same, we're not worthy of Him. If it was not for Christ, I would still, and you would still, be lost in our sins. Suffering with corruption that that we are powerless to defeat. James chapter 1.15 says, When sin, when it is full grown, leads to death. That is where I was heading. That's where all of us were heading. Until Christ came. Suffered so that I would not be cast away. And rose again so that I could be like Him. I hope we see this is going full circle If we are to be like Him, if Christ died for you, then of course we must love one another. We must be unified. And we see we will will suffer. But it is worth it. For the glory that is going to be revealed to you and to me. For we not gladly suffer to bring His name so that others can be alive too. And be full of joy in the midst of it because no amount of suffering is worse than the fate of hell God saved you and me from. This is conduct worthy of the gospel. I ask this of us here who love Christ, but to those of us here who do not count it worthy at all, I wouldn't... I would rather be with my stuff like the rich young ruler. He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I plead with you. 
If you do not know Him, today is the day of salvation. Come to Him. Give, humble yourself. Come before Him and ask Him to forgive you. And it will be granted unto you to believe. For Christ's sake, believe upon His name. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Amen.